Amen. If you have your Bibles, uh, Colossians chapter 1. We're going to read uh, two, two passages uh, here as we kick off this morning. So Colossians 1, 15, okay? And then we're also going to read Isaiah chapter 9, uh, verse 6. So if you want to find your way there um, in, in your Bible and we could get ready for that, uh, praise God. I was uh, reading an article and I want to share it with you and Here's the, the title of the article as, as you find your way uh, to those scriptures I mentioned. Um, here's a question. Who's the best superhero of all time? You may have your opinions and reasons, and you're probably ready, some of you are ready to argue why your superhero is the best. Now, this article says that science reveals the surprising answer. Uh, strength, skills, um, and other characteristics help define this, but the article goes on to say, science, however, can solve the debate. Uh, a team of students from a university uh, in Leicester, uh, they use the power of basic physics and math to make a case for who they claim is the most powerful hero of all time. Obviously, it's Superman. According to this article, they say, according to their, this article on science, as they say, it's Superman. Shocking, right? Not so much, but the reason why is intriguing. Intriguing. This scientific endeavor spans a number of research papers published between 2009 and 2016. The researchers use basic scientific principles to test whether or not uh, specific powers are theoretically viable and created a research-backed pros and cons list for 11 heroes. Among the criteria used to determine superhero functionality were energy output, uh, the ability to fly, it's one of the best, right? Uh, the need to absorb power to maintain their abilities, um, super healing, increased uh, metabolism was, was another. Uh, among the many findings presented in the series of papers, which appear in the Journal of uh, Interdisciplinary Science and Topics in the Journal of Physics, look at this, um, is a discovery that for Superman to muster enough strength to stop a moving train, he'd need to spend just over three days absorbing the sun's energy. Now, how they determine this, again, science, uh, according to them, um, he could f feasibly do things like fly and shoot lasers, but he'd need to bask in the sun for quite some time. Uh, if Superman obeyed the law of conservation of energy, he could channel a stored energy output equivalent of 7.07 .07 by 10 to the fifth power joules per second using his super flare attack. And it goes on and on into more science, but I'll stop there. But according to this article, they say, these scientists say that uh, Superman is the most powerful superhero of all time. But uh, based on the response, I think some have different opinions here, right? Some might. But let's read uh, as I kick this off, and, and you can see where we're going to springboard as we talk about the greatest of all time. Thank you, Jesus. Colossians 1.15 Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme, amen, supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. So powerful. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 17. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. 
Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He's the beginning. Again, it says here, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. Thank you, Jesus. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Thank you, Jesus. Who is the greatest superhero of all time? It's Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. God is good in this place. Now, as we jump, to, uh, jump back to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, prophetically here, the Bible talks about this, and this is what I want to title our message this morning. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Thank you, Jesus. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of of peace. This morning I want to uh, speak a message entitled, Jesus, our wonderful counselor. Praise God. Let's pray this morning. If you would agree with me there, uh, and let's bow our heads. Father, we're so grateful for your mercy, God. We thank you, Lord God, for your grace. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the wonderful work, my God, that you're doing in our lives, Father God, in, in our lives individually, God, collectively, in, the, in, in this body, Father God. We just thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing. And I pray, Lord, this morning that Father, you would have your way that we would walk out of here different, change, Father God, knowing you better, Lord Jesus, and how you desire to be our wonderful counselor in all things, Father God. We thank you. We thank you. We praise you. We ask in Jesus' name. We all say, amen. He will be called Wonderful Counselor. Now, this is good news this morning because perhaps you're in this place and you may be in the valley of decision, as they call it. You may be in a place where you need, uh, you have questions that need answers in your life, perhaps regarding uh, your own life personally, perhaps regarding uh, your family, your friends, your future, your career, all these things. This life is filled with various paths, decisions, testings, and trials. But according to the scripture, thank you, Jesus, and, and one of the Lord's names is Wonderful Counselor, how good news it is that we have a God who is there to guide us through all of our questions, through all of our seasons, through all of our situations, through any circumstance that we find ourselves in. He's there to guide us. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. We can run to him, and we're safe. Now, as we look through the word of God, God has so many different facets and, and, and names and uh, so many different facets, and some scholars have located over 700 titles and different names for Jesus in the Bible. 700. Now you may have, have, have before Christ, they, uh, the, the world, your friends may have given you a nickname for a particular reason, right? Maybe because of some character trait or a certain way that you were. They gave you one name. But Jesus, because of the beauty and the endless power of who he is, he has, as scholars say, some over 700, over 700 titles because of who he is. And today, we're going to look at one just one aspect. We could be here for days and years and years talking about who he is, but we're going to look at him as our wonderful counselor. In Hebrews 4.15, the Bible says that we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. 
You know, there's been times in our lives where we've gone through situations and circumstances, and perhaps you may be in this place and you feel, you feel very distant, you feel far away from God, perhaps because of some choices that you made or things that you're going through. But the Bible says, the good news says here in, in Hebrews 4.15 that we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses. He understands what you're going through. Others understand some of what you're going through, but they can't fully understand everything that you're going through like Jesus can. Why? Because he created you and I. He understands what you're going through. He understands what you're feeling. He understands the doubts, the fears, the circumstances. He understands these things. But one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Now as we look here in our text in Isaiah 9-6, that name, Wonderful Counselor, now, the Greek word for wonderful is uh, pele, and it means a miracle, a marvelous thing, something of wonder. And counselor, the Greek word for that is ya'atz, and it means to advise, to deliberate or resolve, to consult, to take counsel, to give counsel, to determine, to guide, to purpose. See, God understands the valley of decision. He understands the question. He understands where you are today. Maybe you have some big decisions coming up and you've been seeking God for, for direction. Well, I'll tell you this morning, the Bible says that he is our wonderful counselor and he has the answer that you need. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. Now, what's beautiful about this is God desires to interact with us, to have exchange with us, to commune with us, to talk to us. He desires that. All throughout scriptures, we see that God has desired to have relationship with his people because he's our father. See, a father is not just a father by name, but by relationship. Not just by title, but by, by relationship because a father is one that, that leads, that provides, that protects, that guides that gives instruction. That's what a father is. And we know that because we, we see, according to the earthly, what, what, what a father is, but how much more our heavenly father, he desires to teach us. He desires to instruct us, to talk to us, to, to give us the answers for the questions that we have, to, to lead us, to commune with us. In the Bible, he says, let us reason together. He also says in Revelation chapter 3 that whoever opens the door, I will come in and I will sup with him and he with me. We're getting a picture of a God that wants to commune with his people. See, sometimes we, just, we, we, we may separate God in our mind and think he's, he's just there on his throne in heaven, and, and that's true, and he is, but he gives us a Holy Spirit in all ways, and every day, every moment of the day, he desires to commune with you and I. To have relationship, that's what it's all about. It's good news for us this morning. And this message is for each and every one of us, every person hearing my voice this morning. Wherever you're at in your life, whatever condition you are this morning sitting here in the house of God, this is good news for you. Because he is a God that is approachable. Can you say amen? See, 
sometimes our inner and, and, and the way we feel, the way we look at ourselves sometimes would, would cause us to do a 180 and, and run the other way when it comes to, to interacting with the holy God. But thank you, Jesus, for our wonderful counselor that made it possible for you and I to be able to step into his presence, to come to the altar and to ask for his strength and for his help. Why? Because of what Jesus did for us. Each and every one of us, we benefit from this. And if there is no hope for you, can I tell you, you wouldn't be here anymore. Your time here on earth would be up. If there was no more hope or purpose for your life, you wouldn't be here anymore. So that's good news for all of us. God is still working. God still has a plan and a purpose. It doesn't matter where you are today. He still has a plan and a purpose for you. Thank you, Jesus. He's our wonderful counselor of a few things, a few powerful things that are foundational to our belief in him is that, one, he gives us his word as we talk about him being our wonderful counselor. Psalms 119, 105, it says, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. He gives us his word. It's there for you and I, church. When's the last time you picked it up? When's the last time you sought God in his word for answers for, for, for what you need? The, the, the last time that you, that you sought to learn from him, his word is a gift to us. A lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. There's purpose for God's word in our lives. Secondly, he gives us his Holy Spirit. John 16, 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. Thank you, Jesus. Such a big topic today. People always want to know what the future holds. Can you say amen? People out there searching in so many different ways on what the future holds for their lives. Astrology, psychics, all these things out there, mediums. Why? Because there's a question, what does the future hold for me? God gives us his word. God gives us the Holy Spirit. If he desires to reveal anything to you about your future, his Holy Spirit will do it. If there's anything that he doesn't want you to see, by faith, we just continue to walk and trust in him because he holds the future anyways. Can you say amen? Sometimes we want to know each and every detail, but God says, that is my business, and just trust in me, follow me, worry about today, and I'll take care of tomorrow. Thank you, Jesus. So he gives us the Holy Spirit, and then God gives us godly leaders and godly counsel in our lives. Proverbs eleven fourteen: without wise leadership, a nation falls. There is safety in having many advisors. What a beautiful blessing it is to be part of the local body, the local church. Can you say amen? Where we're able to establish relationships with godly people in our lives, godly men, godly women who can speak wise words of wisdom according to God's word in our lives. Never take this for granted. You know, one of the biggest strategies of the enemy is that he would desire to, to take you out of the body of Christ, to take you out and to isolate you so that you can listen to no one else but yourself and him, the enemy. And if we put ourselves in that place, it's going to be a sorry story. We need God, godly counsel. We need godly leadership in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> He's our wonderful counselor. Now, if he is one, uh, our wonderful counselor, we have to understand that the enemy is always 
desiring to orchestrate counterfeit things in our lives. We see that in the world all around us. We know where truth and happiness and peace and fulfillment come, comes. It comes through God. It comes through a relationship with Christ. But hasn't the enemy painted such a picture for, for the world to chase after? Right? Materialism. The, the lust of the eyes, the, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh. People are chasing all kinds of things in this world. Why? To be fulfilled. They're seeking their answers in so many different ways. And we see it all around us. So there's counterfeit counsel. And one of the biggest things here is, is something called self-deception. Now, Jeremiah 17.5, the Bible says this. It says, this is what the Lord says. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. Now, church, we have to understand that God is a jealous God. And he's jealous because he loves you. He's jealous because he has invested so much in our lives. He sent his son Jesus to die for you and I. Such a sacrifice that he made for you and I so that, that he could have relationship with us. But when you and I, when we push that off and we desire and we seek after things that are not of God and we seek after the praise of men and women in this world, we seek after the approval of, of mere humans and we seek after the strength of other humans, other people. And if we turn our hearts away from God, what does the Bible say? The Bible says, cursed are those. Now, I know this morning you don't want to be cursed. We don't want to. We're not called to live under, live under a curse. We're called to live under his blessings. But when we trust in mere humans, when we rely only on our human strength, and we turn our hearts away from the things of God, the Bible says, cursed are those. It's not God's desire for you to be cursed. God has designed it so that you can come to him. He created you. He knows your ins and outs. He knows your hangups. He knows your complexes. He knows your, your shortcomings. He knows the things that, that we fail, and he knows the things that we go through. He knows every single thing. So why wouldn't we run to him? A lot of reasons, I believe. But God says, come to me. You're tired? Come to me. You're weary? Come to me. He says, let us reason together. I mean, and if we're honest with ourselves, you, you, you see how, you see the condition of life when we run away from God. And sometimes we're in a, we're in a, a vicious cycle. It happens over and over and over again. We think, this time I'm going to get it right. But without God... The Bible says, cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans. Now, don't get me wrong. God has placed godly people in our lives, as I said just a moment ago. But that's godly leadership. That's spirit-filled leadership, spirit-led leadership. This is talking about those that just trust in mere humans. We can't trust, put our trust in mere humans or ourselves. <clears throat> Roots of self-deception go back to the beginning in the garden. Now, we understand the story that we, many of us learned in Sunday school about Adam and Eve and all that God created. And God created the Garden of Eden and, and instructed and gave Adam power to manage it and to oversee that. But a short time after that, the enemy comes and he starts to, to bring deception into the garden. 
And what did he tell Eve here in Genesis 3, 5? We're talking about self-deception. <clears throat> he says, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. Now, God gave clear instruction to Adam. Everything is, is accessible to you except, except this tree, the tree of life. Don't touch it. Don't interact. Don't go near it. Everything else is okay, but, but not this. And, and what does the enemy come to do? Goodness. The one thing, God gave permission over everything else, but the one thing that God said, just, just don't, don't interact with this, don't eat of this, the, the fruit of this tree. What does the enemy do? He comes and points that one thing out to get them to fall. In Genesis 3, 5, God, uh, the enemy said, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God knowing both good and evil. Now, the enemy there appeals to our human nature to know all things, to be self-sufficient, to, to live life on our own, to not need uh, a strength from anyone other than ourselves, to just entrust in ourselves. That's what that was rooted in. See, we all have the full capacity to destroy our lives by acting according, according to our own individual thoughts and carnal impulses. Can you say amen? We can mess things up quick, right? We all have that ability. We're all susceptible to that if we're not careful. Now, there's a story here uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 13. The entire chapter there is, is, is very important regarding this passage, but I'll summarize it for you. King Saul was, was a man uh, anointed to be king over Israel, and God was using his life, and, and he had victory over the Philistines, but there was, there was a time when the Philistines began to muster up their strength and they began to, to recruit and build up their army and they were coming against King Saul, King Saul who was anointed by God to lead Israel. And there was King Saul and he, he, was, he was waiting on God. He was waiting for the man of God, the prophet, to come and to give him a word and determine, you know, is God going to give us victory over the Philistines or not? He was seeking an answer, and, and, and what a righteous thing to seek an answer from God. But he was waiting day after day, and the days would pass, and he, would, he was still waiting. And he was seeking God. He was still waiting. He was still waiting. And he got tired of waiting for the answer from God. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 8, the Bible says Saul waited there seven days for Samuel as Samuel had instructed him earlier, but Samuel still didn't come. Have you ever been there? You've been waiting on an answer from God, and, and man, I know the answer is going to come today or it's going to come tomorrow, and it doesn't come. And we're tempted, right, to, to step out on our own accord and just to, 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 to be hasty and do what we think is right when Saul had clear instruction from the man of God to wait for him. But Samuel still didn't come. Saul realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away, so he demanded, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. See, King Saul was anointed to be king of Israel. That's, that's what God anointed him to do. But he wasn't anointed to be a priest, to, to be able to, burn, uh, to, to give burnt offerings and peace offerings. That was the man of God's job. But because of impatience, because of presumption, thinking, well, I'm a, I'm, I'm a king over Israel, and I have the right to do this. I'm a man of power. I have the right to do this. He started to rationalize why it was okay for him to disobey. 
And God judges, judged this swiftly. And you know what the scripture says if you read on into the passage? Right after he did these things, what happened? Samuel showed up. If he had just waited a little bit longer, he would have held on to, to, to the kingdom that God gave him. And how many of us perhaps are in a place of waiting today and you feel like you've been waiting in, in eternity and God has given you clear instruction to just wait, to be patient, to trust me. Don't be hasty. Don't, don't make a rash decision. Just wait. Have faith. The Bible says, you know, God's, God's telling you, have faith in me. Just trust me. It's, it's in my timing. But there are times where we're tempted to just throw in the towel and say, God, I've waited long enough. I'm going to just take that step and I'm going to do it myself. I, you haven't come through and I'm going to just go ahead and do it. And we see that happen here with King Saul and God judged that harshly. See, Saul was guilty of self-reliance and leaning on the arm of the flesh. We're people of faith. We live by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. Can you say amen? And I'll tell you, sometimes the situations in your life look like they're, they're just going to continue to get worse and worse and worse, and you wonder what's going on. But I submit to you, brother and sister, continue to stand in faith. Stand on his word. Don't detour. Don't walk out of the will of God. Don't, don't walk out to what he's called you to. Stand fast. I believe God could have did so much in, in King Saul's life here if he had just waited. Be careful not to lean on the arm of the flesh. Be careful when making hasty decisions. Young person in this place, I encourage you to take counsel for those, from those godly people that God has placed around you. God has blessed you. If you have counselors around you, if you have people that are wise, that are God-fearing people in your life, if you have leaders that are God-fearing in your life, you're blessed this morning. Heed the godly counsel around you. I know sometimes one of the traits of being young is you think, you know, we think we know it all, and, and I say we, right? We think we know it all because we're so young. But you've been there before. You understand what I'm saying? You haven't figured out. You, you, you understand. You've been through this and you've been through that, but God has has placed leaders around you for your safety because he loves you and because he cares for you. He's placed your parents around you. He's placed pastors around you, leaders around you to protect you, to guide you. So, so take heed. Seek godly wisdom and godly counsel. Listen to the godly influences around you. Leaders, let's help those younger ones around us. Thank you, Jesus. How much trouble we can get ourselves in when things don't go our way. We have to wait on God. We have to trust on him. So let's say perhaps you made a rash decision. You've made a hasty decision and you've stepped out of God's will or, or you know you've, you've, you've been disobedient. What's the answer? One, well, first of all, it's repentance. Get back on the path. Repentance. Turn back to God. God is a forgiving God. God will help you. He's a God of hope. He's a God of hope. He's a God of truth, but he's a God of hope. So get back on the path. Repent. Repent from being self-reliant on ourselves and our own strength. We see as we look in the, the Old Testament in Genesis 3 with Adam and Eve and how, how they, they believe the lie of the enemy. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 3 that, that Adam and Eve, they heard the voice of God in the garden. And in verse 10 it says, uh, Adam says, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. 
Then we know the story. God begins to, to question him, say, who, who said you were naked? How do you know this? But you know what's beautiful about this picture is that while Adam and Eve were, were in shame and they did, they, did, they did according to their own work to cover their shame, they sewed on fig leaves, right, because they knew they were naked. So they did their, what they understood to do to cover their shame. But the beautiful picture here is that God was walking in the garden and he was seeking after them. He said, Adam, where are you? Remember in the beginning I was saying that he, he seeks relationship. God is always seeking, he's, he's pursuing, he's always seeking a relationship with you and I. Adam and Eve, they, they failed, and yes, they failed miserably. But the, they, heard, they heard God walking in the garden, seeking after them, and that's what God's doing this morning. His presence is here this morning. He's here, he's here, he's seeking after you. Perhaps you're, you're in a place of your life that you've, that you've run away and that you've, you've forsaken God. I have good news for you this morning is that God is seeking after you. He's, he's asking you, brother, sister, son, daughter, where are you? I'm seeking after you, where are you? Let us reason together. Heed the counselors God has placed around us. Proverbs eleven fourteen. With, without wise leadership, a nation falls. There is safety in having many advisors. See, this goes against our pride because by nature, I believe we don't want to be told anything. We want to be able to rely on our own, but God places wise leaders around us. We have to rely on his word, Matthew 4, 4, but Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You know, as the years have passed, and, and I, I know many can attest to this, uh, I said it is, it is a blessing to be part of, of, of this ministry, to be part of the local body of Christ, to have relationships, godly people that you serve God with throughout the years, through the thick and through the thin, those that have for years have been serving God and, and, and pursuing God. It's been such a blessing for for my wife and myself and, and, and our family and just, to, just to, to, to serve God with so many. And it's what God's doing within these four walls. And yes, I know God's doing so many great things outside of these four walls and with this ministry, but the local body is such a beautiful place. Never take it for granted. I thank God for, for, for the, the pastors. I thank God for my pastors, for, for my godly friends, for my family, for, for all the... the, the the people that God has placed in our lives. And it's a gift. We have to appreciate it. You have to nurture it. You have to value it. You have to protect it. As the worship team makes their way up, it's a gift. The gifts that God has given us. He is our wonderful counselor. Perhaps you're in a place of decision this morning. You have to understand that he is the one that you can run, run to. He'll guide you. He'll lead you. He'll give you revelation for that situation. He'll give you the strength to be patient while he's working. We have to be careful of counterfeit counsel, of self-deception and self-reliance. We have to get back on the path. This life we live is full of options, opportunities, temptations, trials, and hardships. But in all these things, we can be sure that God is able to advise us all each and every step of the way. If we run to him as our wonderful counselor, he'll lead us and he'll guide us into all truth.
In James chapter 1, verse 5, as I close, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. He gives generously. Not like us sometimes where, where perhaps our, our kids may ask us the same thing over and over and over. And sometimes we get impatience as parents, right? Like, I told you that already. Come on, what's the matter with you? I told you. But I don't get that. I don't get that spirit from the scripture here of God. I, I get a, a spirit of, of temperance, of love, of patience. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. Even if you've asked before, even if you God's, need God's wisdom again, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to you. He's our Father. He loves you. He wants you to come and ask for his wisdom. Just as any loving parent would their children. Any parent wouldn't want their 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 children to presume that they know what's right and wrong and they just, they, they throw off all wisdom and they just go and, and decide on their own what they're going to do. No, a parent, because of their love and concern for their children and desire for them to be safe and whole, invite that opportunity for them to come and ask for, for help. You should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. So this morning as we bow our heads,